Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I have become a walker, and I'm hearing this, my, myself even say this, like through my 20-year-old self ears, and it just sounds so old, like, man, I'm such an old man now. I, I'm, I'm outside a lot. I do play sports. I golf. I hike quite a bit. I play pickleball. More than anything, I've become a walker. Almost every day I walk quite a ways, and not just to be outside and not just, you know, to be moving, but... Uh, several things are happening when I walk. I'm prioritizing my week, my two or three objectives. I'm thinking about what God has shown me, what he's been revealing to me. I'm trying to sort out my dreams with God's plans. And do they intersect? I walk and surrender my timing my demands to what God wants, what his plans are, and this is all kind of happening. And I also, in my walking, observe. I've noticed that I'm an observer when I'm outside. I'm just kind of observing things. And when I kind of talk these things out with Amy, you know, this is where the word nerd will come up, or I'll say, have you ever thought of when the airplane flies, you know, or whatever. I'm observing when I'm outside, and I want to kind of pull you into this kind of space. Some of you maybe spend more time outside than I do, but for those who don't, or for those who um, spend your time outside with just a lot of noise or a lot of other people, I want to really challenge you to think about being outside alone, more contemplative, reflective. Okay? So stay with me. Stay with me with where we're going here. I believe God speaks to us in a number of ways. He's given us these tools, these means for revealing himself to us. One is scripture. If, if God can become human and physically come and we just spent time on this in december if he can physically come as emmanuel god with us in the flesh and dwell among us then as the words of god to us he can certainly write them down in a descriptive story kind of form so that we know who he is so we know that god speaks through scripture we know that god speaks through other people this is clear this is clear from beginning to end in eden all the way through the call of a nation to be messengers to all other nations to bless them, to Jesus coming as a person to speak. This is Rudy talked about how God uses people in the lives of people. This is why we had a Mary and Joseph. God uses people to speak life and birth his plan into the lives of other people. So he speaks through scripture. He speaks through others. If you're trying to relate to God and know him independent of community, you're only going to go just a little bit just so far in your experience with God. Okay, and there are other ways. God sometimes uses circumstances. We'll say he closes a door, he opens a door, and we'll observe his activity through circumstances. God also speaks to us. This is a tool he's given us. He speaks through nature. The creator reveals through creation. So this is what I really mean by the nerd kind of dive into the science idea. One day I'm outside and I just kind of think about the sun. I don't know. I, you know, the sun's always there. I hardly ever think about it. And one day I was just like, the sun doesn't burn up. We live in a world where fire requires fuel and it consumes the fuel. And when the fuel is gone, the fire 
is gone. The sun doesn't do that. The sun is just always burning, and it burns at this constant heat. And then you put the, you know, 93 million miles away. We can't even conceive how far that is. And yet it perfectly warms and cools our earth for life and trees to grow. And for, okay, so I'm having one of these kind of moments that, you know, make my girls' eyes go to the back of their heads. And, you know, I'm, and so I'm, I'm just in this thought. And I know there's a scientific reason for this, why the sun doesn't burn up. It's been burning for so, so, so long. And the fuel just isn't burned up. Or it somehow is making its own fuel. And I learned the scientific reason for this. I can't remember it. But in school, I, remember, I, I know that there, I, I studied this, and it's the, the way the atoms split or the molecules are replicating or whatever the explanation is. And I had this instinct not to do what I typically do, not to Google it. I just, right away, I'll go to YouTube or I'll go, like, I want to know the reason. I want to know the physical law. And I just had this sense, don't do it. Just be in awe of this reality that is a mystery that makes me amazed at our creator. Does that make sense? Like, don't, don't rush to the explanation because we as humans, when we gain the explanation, there's something that happens in us. I think it's pride. I think it's this sort of self-assurance or confidence. When something's explained to us, when we gain the knowledge, we sort of have this, ah, oh, now I know. And you've done that, right? Oh, now I know. We did this four or 500 years ago when we discovered the earth wasn't flat. We had always thought, theologically, that Genesis 1, creation tells the story of God made a flat earth. And when astronomers and followers of Jesus, by the way, are putting two and two together and they're noticing, wait a minute, we're round like the sun is. And our spatial existence doesn't revolve around earth we're revolving around the sun. The church freaked out. The church's reaction to science, and this is one of the tragedies of the last couple thousand years, the church heard that and became f fearful that somehow science may contradict Scripture or contradict God, which will never happen. Science is given to us as a nature, being outside. Science has been given to us as a tool to help us understand better God, to, to better pursue him. The church freaks out, followers of Jesus freak out in fear and actually execute, burned at the stake, scientists and astronomers and pastors and theologians who are saying, this is what I'm observing. This should call us to question, oh, wait a minute, God, Genesis, and in the science community, what typically happens is when we gain knowledge, when we gain some kind of insight, we tend to, in the, in the, I'm a we, I'm not a scientist, the science community tends to gain knowledge and then say, ah, one less reason we need God. Because now we know a little more. We're learning more. We're becoming more educated. Science is helping inform us. We don't need God anymore. When the world was just a big mystery, we needed this explanation that there was this creator. We don't need that anymore because look, look at what we're learning. Look at what our science is revealing. All right, there's an example of this. I'm going to play a short clip. One of my favorite geniuses here in recent time is John Lennox. John Lennox is a professor of mathematics at Oxford. He loves Jesus deeply. He's very committed in his faith, and he's brilliant. And in this particular video, there's so many. You, you can watch John Lennox talk on 
so many different levels to so many different people. He's in an interview here, a forum, talking about Stephen Hawking's, the, the, the prominent atheist of, of, of the last, one of the most prominent atheists of the last, you know, 70 or 80, or 80 years. Um, Hawking's wrote the book, uh, The Grand Design, and Hawking's has proposed that because there's the law of gravity and we can study it and understand it, gravity and other laws actually can and will create. And he's saying that's crazy, that's ludicrous, that's not good science. A lot of atheism is built on this concept. Laws don't create, they're not creative, they're descriptive. Laws describe what, how life works, they don't create life. Okay, if that doesn't seem to matter, I think it will matter in just a moment. All right, and we will, maybe we'll watch this clip next week. So back to walking. I'm going to use this example. It's not really about walking. It's about being outside. I want to use the example of being outdoors in nature, observing creation, as a, as a, a way that God speaks to us, okay? I'm convinced that we understand more about God, the character of God, his creative mind, his power and ability when we're outside. Yes, we can learn about God from Scripture, and we should and from community, as we've talked about. But this is another tool that God has given us. And it's so sad to me how seldom we look up and think about the solar system. Or the distance of other suns, not to mention our own. Or how seldom we walk through the woods. Or think about life while looking out at a body of water. I used to believe we kind of subconsciously understand more about God when we're outside, when we're just observing nature. Now I'm so convinced. I'm more convinced than ever. Now listen to what Paul says about this. Paul actually speaks to this in Romans 1. Paul says that God has given humans over to the broken spiral of collapse after we tried to take control in Eden. He's handed us over to the spiraling into chaos because humans sought creative object to wor objects to worship and money and our own success, we sought these kinds of things to revolve our lives around rather than the creator himself. And so Paul says godless people are suppressing God's truth by their, he calls it wickedness, this um, elevating other gods rather than the creator. Since, in verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them, plain to humans. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although, although they knew God, although humans in Eden, although we knew God and walked with him and were close to him and we could see and understand his divine power his creative mind, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. In exchange, and that's really one of the points that John Lennox is making, which we'll, we'll try to watch next week. We've become so foolish in our scientific, it's not science that makes us foolish, it's the idea that, oh, our intellect is explaining why we don't need our creator or a creator. I can create myself. I can create my own value. I can define what life is about. And Paul's calling this foolishness. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being 
a, a, a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Okay, are you ready for this? Paul's, Paul's saying there is just an observable quality about the reality of God by being outside, by looking at nature and creation. Okay, are you ready for this? There is empirical data now about how we spend our time indoors or outdoors. Many, many studies. The average American, this is a study that was just conducted by the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. The average American spends 93% of their life indoors. 87%, the average American, 87% of our time is spent inside of buildings and an additional 6% of our time in automobiles. That leaves 7% to be outside. So we're already eliminating one of God's sources or tools to reveal himself to us. Now, again, I'm using this as an example of how God reveals. Outside, nature, creation. This is an example. Let me just break this down a little bit further, and then we'll, we'll get into the words of Jesus and Mark. The EPA study also found that many Americans believe that we get colds and flu more often than the winter because it's cold out. Actually, the study says, we get colds and flu more often in the winter because we are inside more often and exposed to higher concentrations of airborne pollutants, including cold and flu viruses. Being inside also means we don't see the sun and end up vitamin D deficient. Okay, the study goes on. I read a different article before Christmas about the importance or the value of living close to the water. Now, I don't live within a half mile of the ocean. Uh, most of you don't either, I assume. So this can be discouraging at first, but there's actually good news here. A recent study showed that those who live within a half mile of the sea, a half mile of the ocean, um, are 22% less likely to have mental health symptoms compared to those who live 31 miles or more inland, away from the coast. And if you're feeling depressed right now, even more like, my mental health is dropping, as Brad says this, uh, there's some encouragement here. Another study, this is from the Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine at Washington State University. In fact, they just updated the study on November 20th, just six weeks ago. Shows how being near green or blue spaces, even just for five additional minutes a day, observing green, fields, trees, forest, a pond, you know, any kind of water, dramatically improves mental health. One more, just one more kind of nerd moment here. At the University of Vienna, Sandra Geiger's research recently confirms an old belief, living near or even just visiting the seaside is positively associated with improved health. This holds true regardless of one's country, residence, or even if they just visit the ocean from time to time or a body of water. Okay, my point here is that God has given us many ways to know him and experience him. Nature, creation is just one of them. Paul says it's obvious. There are complex aspects of creation. When we light a fire and the wood is burned up, or the coal is burned up, or the, the fuel source, it goes, but the sun, why? There's something in that moment that draws us toward the creator. That's, that's part of the design of creation, is to draw us toward the one who created life, who created you and I to breathe on a planet in just utter dark space. How does that happen? 
God has given us many ways to know him and experience him, and this is just one tool. Okay, being outside, observing nature is one of the tools. Okay, so that's the setup for where we go. God has given us another tool, another means to be close to him, to recognize his closeness to us. And it relates to the bigger thing that I believe all of us subconsciously wrestle with, think about, are perplexed about on a daily basis. When we think things like, or even maybe we're not even consciously aware we're thinking, there has to be more than li- to life than just my days here on earth the way they appear, working, going to work every day, getting old. We think things like, why am I here? Am I just some kind of random anomaly in time? Or is there intentional purpose for my life? You contemplate these things. I do. We were made to. We were made to be connected to our source, to our creator. And so our spiritual DNA, the way we're hardwired, is always going to bring us back to why, how do I connect with life itself? God has given us another tool to help us with this. Another means to being close to him. All right, and so we're going to read that tool now in Mark chapter 12. Jesus has just finished a debate, a pretty lengthy debate with the Sadducees. The Sadducees are a Jewish sect, religious sect in Jesus' day. They happen to be the sect, the very popular religious group that believe there's no life after death. There's no resurrection from the dead. There's no future eternity. You do your best to honor God. They believed in God. So you, you do your best to honor God in this world, and then when lights are out, they're out, and you're done. That's contrary to what the Pharisees believe. The Pharisees actually believe there is life after death. And so this Pharisee is listening to this debate, and he's amazed at what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is actually making a really compelling argument for why there's life after life as we know it. And this Pharisee is so, he's so amazed he starts a discussion. He just, he picks up where Jesus leaves off and wants to know, he's inquiring, okay, so there's laws, there's physical laws, and then there's the laws of our Old Testament. The commands or the laws, it's synonymous. Which is the greatest law? What law, if I obey it, and I just do all the X's and Y's and Z's, will ensure me life? It's not too far from what we do in science. What law can we observe that we presume, which the science community does in large part, particularly atheist, because we can observe this law, then it means it creates life. That's actually a contradiction to science. This Pharisee is essentially doing the same thing in spiritual terms. What law in the law of Moses and Torah is the most important? What one law, the law of Moses, will ensure that I have life after death, Jesus? It's a question of priorities. And you and I do this. We prioritize, we do it intentionally, we do it in our work plans, and we do it subconsciously. We prioritize because of the collision of values. We all have values in life, and sometimes our values collide. And we have this critical moment like, oh, I'm in this tension now. These two contradictory values in my life 
are competing against one another. This is why we prioritize. And this Pharisee is asking a question of priority. Which of all the Old Testament laws to the nation of Israel, which is the most important one that will ensure me living forever? Jesus. Let's read it. Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, Jesus and the Sadducees. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, which is it's impressive to hear that a Pharisee is impressed with Jesus. He asks him, he asks Jesus of all the commandments, of all the laws of Torah, which is the most important one? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That doesn't mean a whole lot to you and me, but everyone in that audience, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the common Jewish person, Every single person to a person knows exactly what Jesus is reciting here. He's reciting the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. They know it. It's part of their culture. They grew up as kids learning this. It's just like Americans knowing the Pledge of Allegiance or the words to Silent Night or the coffee sizes at Starbucks. It's just part of our culture. We just kind of know it. Everyone in the Jewish community knew, oh, Jesus is going to the Shema. He's not going to the long lists of laws. Interesting. He's going to the Shema. So they know what's coming next. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Jesus chooses the one law that isn't a do or don't law. This has to do with the heart, this has to do with our intentions. This has to do with where we put our mental energy. This isn't a wake up in the morning and by sunrise feed the cows or go to your neighbor. This isn't a do or don't law. It's so interesting. The Pharisee wants to know what's the one law that will create life for me. And Jesus is telling us, just like in science, laws are descriptive. They describe where you are in life. The, law, the, the Old Testament laws are actually descriptive about where you are in your heart, your humility. You're submitting to God's control, his leading of your life. Then Jesus shocks the listeners in that audience because he adds to the script. See, the Shema ends with that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, so love the Lord your God... That's where it ends. Jesus adds to it. Now this, again, we're not part of the Jewish audience there, so maybe this doesn't kind of resonate with us, but they are shocked that Jesus continues. He has something more to add to this, the greatest command. What is the greatest law? They're thinking there's no additional words to the Shema. There's a second greatest command. The question was about one. Jesus is, seems to be giving two. And the way Jesus says this grammatically in the Greek means it's as important as the first command. What I'm about to say, it's not sequential like, okay, that was most important law number one. Now here's the one that's a little less important, but number two. He's saying these are equal. The second is this, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, singular, greater than these, plural. This is so interesting what Jesus is doing here. You ask for one most important law that would give me life, that would give you life, 
But there are two. The two together are the one. Well said. I love this. I love that this Pharisee, you know, we know who Jesus is. We understand the history. Even if you're just here today as a seeker and you're not necessarily a follower of Jesus, you understand the renown of Jesus' teaching. It's funny that in the context here, this Pharisee is suggesting, wow, Jesus, you're pretty smart. He says, well said. Can you imagine going back in history? Like, if you had this opportunity, like, how foolish would you feel to be the one to say, well said, Jesus. This is pretty good. That was a pretty good answer. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. I can't disagree. So this expert in the Old Testament law, the laws, the many 500 plus laws of Moses, has asked a priority question to this rabbi that's getting a lot of attention and he's impressing a lot of people. And then he agrees with Jesus' answer. He's agreeing with Jesus' priorities. He's agreeing with Jesus' value set for life. That life isn't a do or don't. Just do this ritual every day, go to church once a week, show up here. Jesus is getting to matters of the heart. He's getting to how we're wired and what we're allowing to rewire us, to reshape us. This is the source of life. You're not going to find life by just religiously obeying a list. And that's not what the man wanted. The man wanted, what's the list? Tell me the short list. Let's just start with one. Let's just, just give me the one most important and I'll do it. And then I'll be in. And then I'll have life. And Jesus is trying to tell us, no, the laws of God for Israel, ancient Israel, they're not creative. They don't create life. They're descriptive of where you are, where your heart is. And this is profound. And this has everything to do, the next thing that Jesus says has everything to do with where we're going this winter, what we're going to be doing in the, the couple of months ahead. When Jesus saw that this Pharisee had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far. I love this. I don't, this has just gotten so into me, the words, you are not far. The Pharisees were known for being arrogant. They were condescending to the common people. They held power they made people that were lower than them feel lower. The Pharisees led with this piety. And Jesus recognizes that even in your arrogance and even in your misunderstanding of how God works and who he is, you agreeing with the values of my kingdom, that we must love God with every part of our being, all of your heart. Your heart is your desires. All of your mind, Jesus is all of your mind, your thinking, your intentions, your planning, your intellectual expression, your soul, our soul is kind of harder to understand, but our soul spiritually is what holds all the other parts of us together. The soul is like the complete self. And your strength, your energy, what you give your energy to. Love God with all of yourself, and then... The overflow of God's life in you as a result of you loving God with every part of your being. Yes, you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you'll have selfish moments. 
That's what Jesus' healing and remaking is all about. As you devote your life to loving him with every part, your job, your finances, your possessions, your relationships, your dreams, your college degree, everything is about God and his plan and how he wants to use you. If you love God with all of your being, then the overflow of God's work in you will impact others. You will love your neighbor the way you care for yourself, even strangers. This is God's dream for us. This is what God wants us to observe about, we, we, we get so hung up on the laws like, oh, I feel like I can't eat meat on this day, or you can't, it's so confusing, it doesn't seem to apply to us anymore today. Since the cross, a lot of the laws have changed. And Jesus is telling us what the laws were intended for ancient Israel really to show is the condition of the heart. I want your heart. I want you to love others, even strangers, people who vote differently than you. Here we are in 2024. Good Lord. Here we go again. We're so sick of division. We're so sick of loud opinions. God is going to use you. Not Pastor Brad, not people up on a church stage. He wants to use you to speak life and encourage maybe people who pray differently than you, certainly who vote differently than you. This is how the world has changed. And it begins with you not trying to obey some church laws or showing up once in a while that makes God kind of happy. It begins with you and I giving God everything, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our mental energy, all of our resources, our intellect, our strength, our energy. When we recalibrate, realign our lives so that we are moving into the future to grow and develop as people who make every part of our life about God and his plan, you will end up actually changing, not political opinions. Who cares about that? You will actually be a part of changing hearts. Now, let's just go back to percentage here. I'm going to end with this thought. Um, you know, I started with the percentages of how often we spend out, out, outdoors, and when we're indoors so much, we kind of limit one of the many ways God reveals himself. Why would, it's almost like not reading scripture. I'm just going to read scripture just for 30 seconds a week. Why, why, it's like we're starving ourselves. Okay, so thinking about percentages, do you love, this is how I wrote it in my notes, do you love God one hour a week? And listen, I'm not, this isn't judgmental. I'm not, I'm not thinking of a single person. I'm just, I think some of us growing up in America, we see spiritual time as the one hour of church every week. Yeah, I, I go a lot. I, I go as regularly as I can. That's my, that's my devoted time with God. I give him an hour every week. Okay, so I, I haven't seen this anywhere. I just did the math. And I double and triple checked it. There's 168 hours in a week. If you give God one hour a week, that is six-tenths of 1% of your week. Going to church, one hour, let's say you're consistent and you come most weeks. You are giving God one-sixth of one, I'm sorry, six-tenths of one percent of your week. So I doubled it. What if we give him two hours? Hour Sunday morning, and then let's just say maybe an hour at a group one. That is 1.9% of your week. Five hours a week would be 2.9% of your week. Now, God's not looking for a percentage. 
He's not trying to get us up to 3% or 5%. He wants, he uses the word all. Your job, your project planning, the fun things you do with your kids, vacations, all of it. It's all intended to be part of his plan. When you adjust to this frame, it's, it's like, oh, the earth revolves around the sun. The sun doesn't revolve around. It's, it's this realignment with what God's actually doing. He wants all of you, every part of you. And that's when he can use you to permeate his reality and love and encouragement to others. That's what changes the world. Politics is not going to change our world. It has effects. Circumstantial effects happen because of politics. It's not going to change humanity. You and I are the ones who are going to change humanity. And that's super intimidating until we realize once God has my heart, he'll just use me. He'll use me at times I don't even know he's using me. God is closer to you than you think. And you may be closer to God than you realize if your values align with his Life is really found in loving him with all of my heart, all of my mental energy, all of my resources, all of my strength, and learning what that looks like. This winter, you should commit to this series. And I know, as a pastor, I'm usually softer, but like, hey, consider, consider joining us. I just, I, I want to be bolder. I, I'm putting my heart and passion into this series. And so should you. Why wouldn't you? You know, the, a study I read recently said that um, Americans now, uh, the average churchgoer American is now, we, we slipped from COVID, we were going to church once out of three weeks. The average American churchgoer goes to church one out of three weeks. This is before COVID. The trend was suggesting that over the next decade, it would drop to one out of four, but that happened during COVID. So now after COVID, the average American churchgoer goes to church to the church gathering one out of four weeks. And some of that has to do with when the weather is bad. And some of it has to do with when the weather is good. It's crazy. When the weather's too bad, we stay home. When it's too good, we stay home. It's like we've become so finicky, so in control of our lives. And God is calling us to dive into this with his people. As a church community, as a faith community... Why would we just go back to work and kind of struggle through life when God has given us this answer that if we learn and walk with other people to give our hearts, our minds, all of our strength to him, he will actually use us, which is what we crave to be. It's what we crave to happen in our lives. So before our band closes us here, I'm going to pray our daily, our January daily prayer. And I'm going to pray this over you. Pray this with me. And I'm going to just breathe this over you as if God, we're allowing God to make this the prayer of our heart, the cry of our heart this month. And again, this can be found every day, any moment on our Dulles Church mobile app. It's always at your fingertips. Jesus, your priority for me is that I would love you with every part of my life, with my heart, my soul, mind, and my strength. I join my church community this month allowing this value to engulf me. Help me to learn, help me to grow, to love you with my time, my thoughts, my plans, my resources, hobbies, and my energy. 
And joined to this priority is that I would love my neighbor just as I would care for my own life. Jesus, may your closeness in my life affect the people around me. Make me interruptible and make me empathetic so I can offer your love to others every week, every day. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing your kingdom closer to me than I could have ever imagined. Amen.